1: Welcome to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with somebody I've known more by rumor innuendo and LinkedIn activity than anything else. Joshua Frank is the managing partner of RSM Federal. And the reason we only know each other more uh, in kind of an obtuse way is that he lives in St. Louis and I don't. Josh, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Mark. Uh, glad to be here.
1: Uh, so take a couple of minutes and tell people who you are, your background, and, and what you do, and, and maybe also give them a little flavor of that uh, SmartPay activity you used to do.
2: Yeah, sure. So I've been in the market for about, the federal market, for about 30 years. I'm an author. I'm a business coach. Uh, I'm a former military intelligence officer on the Army side. I speak, you know, at various regional, national events. Uh, my specialty is in helping companies accelerate into the federal space and, and to win contracts. And uh, you referenced uh, my past. You know, I've worked for small business. I've worked for 8As, service-disabled, woman-owned, and I've worked for Fortune 100. I, I ran the uh, Smart Pay program for the Department of Defense at MasterCard Worldwide up in D.C., for those that smart pay just doesn't trigger anything, that's the purchase card. That's credit cards. So micro-purchase, $10,000 or less. Uh, so I've, I've been on both sides of, of the coin, small and large business.
1: That's kind of weird because I, I actually spoke at a MasterCard-sponsored event uh, for the SmartPay program probably 20 years back. Yeah,
2: Mark, that was way before my time. (laughs) Well, I mean, I
1: I used to write about it a lot because, uh, especially in the 90s, as as you may have heard, not known, the the micro-purchase level was stuck at $2,500, but the cool thing Mm -hmm. was no contracts were required. So B2B catalogers could sell a lot of stuff to the government, and I showed them how. And it was a wonderful market to play in until GSA – started uh, mandating preferred sources, i.e. GSA Schedule Contract at minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and
2: and, and what's interesting on that is, uh, and I think we're going to talk about category management at at some level uh, today, but those purchase cards, those those micro-purchase procurements, are currently a saving grace for a lot of companies that don't realize what's happening with category management. So it's interesting how what comes around goes around as well.
1: Yeah. You know, just very briefly, and we're going to get there too, uh, you know, your GSA schedule demands that you do $25,000 a year. You know, that's two and a half card purchases.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. And, and and if we're just going to keep going down the rabbit hole, it's so shocking that 50% of all the GSA schedule holders today can't even make their 25000 which tells you there's some other issues uh, that companies are having in terms of selling to the government.
1: Well, adult supervision being number one. So, so let's, let's start here. A lot of changes going on in uh, federal acquisition. So I asked you to make a little laundry list, so take us through it and start okay, with that so- consolidated schedule.
2: Okay. So, there's major changes that are taking place in federal acquisition. They're happening at light speed. The first one is the uh, GSA consolidated schedule. And, you know, simply the government is tired of having, you know, 19, 20-odd different uh, requirements and reviews, and uh, the government's just operating differently on all schedules. And so, in late 19, the government turned off the ability for companies to get a specific GSA schedule. They launched the consolidated schedule. First of all, schedules have always been a form of strategic sourcing, right? Right, or category sure. management.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so, you know, for what you and I know as, you know, these individual sins, special item numbers, etc., the new consolidated schedule is, uh, broken into categories and subcategories, but it's all the same schedule. It's just a different category. I, this is the second time now that you and I are talking about category management, uh, which should be raising some flags for your listeners. So the GSA consolidated schedule is one of those changes that's taking place. Let me go ahead and just knock out strategic sourcing and, and cap management, category management. You know, for your listeners that may be a little newer to the government market, you know, you have definitive contracts and you've got vehicles, right? And when I say vehicles, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, right? Multiple award contracts, MACs, IDIQs, MATOX, SATOX, the alphabet soup of the acquisition world for vehicles, right? GWACs on the technology side. And so we're seeing this massive push towards that. and And I'm going to come back to that. Some other just changes that I've seen uh, that I think a a lot of folks are familiar with, but uh, maybe not. Dunn's turning into Sammy, right? Um, I don't know about you, Mark, but I was shocked when Ernst Young had the contract given to him and it was taken away from Dunn and Bradstreet. What, What was that? Was that late? last year that that happened
1: uh mid mid to late last year but uh the 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 fact that somebody's trying to replace done is mind-boggling
2: it is however just my opinion from a business perspective i actually get it i understand why the government wants to own it versus having to rely on a third party because uh I, i think you'll agree as we see a lot of the changes that are taking place in the market. Uh, in the federal space, ownership, taking things under your wing, is becoming like the status quo. And so, you know, Ernst & Young uh, is going to be deploying the SAM managed identifier or SAMI. Uh, so that's that's another one of those changes. There's a ton of changes in small business regulations, right? You know, my firm, you know, we're, we're business coaches, we're management consultants. We support small, mid-tier, and large companies, but small business regs, they change every year, right? I mean, every uh, you and I are constantly, you know, putting out, hey, this is changing, this is going to impact you, like debriefing, right? That's size agnostic, you know, the requirement now you can request a debrief, and in the past, you know, the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Reg, simply says, "Hey, it's up to the contracting officer. They can just send you an email. They don't have to talk to you on the phone, right?" Well, if they send you an email, you now have two days you can follow up, and they have to respond in writing. It's great for large companies, but it's phenomenal for small business. If you're tracking joint ventures, it's not law yet. It's still moving through the through the uh, through the pieces. But right now, joint ventures, you're allowed to have three contracts, right? Well, government's trying to remove that requirement, which would be pretty cool. Small business status is now five versus three year, you know, average. I mean, there's just a ton of changes. And I'll close with this. Probably the most impactful change that's taking place in the federal market would be the integrated award environment the I-A-E, and Mark, you and I know that that's SAM, but for your listeners, the integrated Award environment, that's that SAM, the new SAM site, whatever you want to call it, and Mark, I don't know about you, but we've got more clients screaming bloody murder about the FBO migration. I would say 95% are screaming, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What do you have on your side? Do you have a bunch of folks that are complaining about it? I
1: have I have some that are complaining, but I, I try to convince them that, number one, whatever the government puts in place, uh, in all likelihood, it's not going to work this year. And by that I mean <laughs> in 2020 we'll be lucky if it's up really and working by 2022. So I, I just mm-hmm. say, you know, you got two choices. You got Bloomberg and you have GovWin. Pick one and bite the bullet because they're both <laughs> you know, better anyway.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you bring those up. You know, I have some recommendations here that I'll be bringing up a little bit. And I was actually going to ask you, hey, are we going to actually list the eight hundred pound gorillas? And you just named the two of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I what I tell folks, maybe it's more on the small mid tier market that. There's questions about how to overcome the challenges. But, you know, as a – I'm one of the beta testers for the new SAM site. Everything's being rolled out in blocks, right? Like GSA hasn't hidden this fact. They've told us, you know, hey, all these changes are taking place. You know, we're integrating FAPIS and CPARS and FPDS and FBO's already integrated into this new, you know, the IAE. But we're doing everything in blocks. You know, in in fact, I think I was talking to you on the phone a couple days ago, and I said, I just got an email from GSA as one of their beta testers that, that right now they're getting ready to roll out the new ad hoc functionality within SAM, the FPDS functionality, and we're talking like only two or three weeks. So, you know, when people start getting all concerned, I go, it's blocks. And, and I say something similar to what you did. You know, look, guys, it's going to be a year, right, before it's really operating on, on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah you just got to find a way to overcome.
1: Yep. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Josh Frank. You can find Josh at rsmfederal.com or look him up phonetically, Joshua Frank, on LinkedIn. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtar. I'm here today with Josh Frank, uh, managing partner of RSM Federal in St. Louis. You can find him at rsmfederal.com. So, Josh, um, I asked you to make a, a list of uh, some top recommendations, for, especially for the small and mid tier companies. Let's start with the uh, value communication.
2: Okay. Before I dive into into my recommendations for these small material companies, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack for just a minute. Um, uh, if you look at the current market, you know the government market, uh, most GovCon professionals can see all the different pieces. You know, they see that there's this consolidated schedule, right? They uh, they see that FBO where they feel the pain of FBO migrating into SAM. They see the the integrated award environment. They see specific products and services that they're selling get sucked into these contract vehicles, right? Many see the changes taking place, but they're not looking at the market from a very holistic perspective. Now, large companies, Mark, you know, the large system integrators, they've got the manpower. They've got the value of being able to pool the expertise um, of many more employees uh, in order to maintain a stronger situational awareness, right? But but this is really difficult for the smaller and mid-tier companies. More than half of small mid-tier firms aren't looking at the market from a strategic perspective, from a perspective that's required for you to be consistently successful so so when you ask me about my top five uh, recommendations, uh, the first of which being value, they're really size agnostic. So you know I'm going to speak to your listeners that are small and mid-size, but they but these really apply to small and large companies. now uh, I'll get to your question. The first recommendation You've got to communicate value. And you and I, I've read your stuff on LinkedIn. I've read your book. We both agree, you know, if you can't communicate value, there is no way that you can differentiate from the competition. Would you agree? Yep. Okay. Okay. And, and I don't know uh, from, your, from your side, most of the companies that I train or I coach, they all think they're doing it communicating value and most of them aren't uh and so you know when i'm coaching and and working with folks that's the number one issue by far um you know companies are great at saying what they do but not the value that it provides to their customers
1: make sense it does but i find a lot of companies that try to cast a wide net when they're talking about what they do. So we have, I have, I've seen, you know, Mm -hmm. three to 10 people companies claiming 20 areas of expertise. And, you know, my first comment is, you know, narrow it down.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, that it's, what's interesting is it's one of the most common uh, responses to small business. this isn't just me talking, this is just, it's sort of an industry standard, uh, you, you know you you're an adjunct professor uh you know even at all the colleges the universities they say, "Look, you need to pick a lane what's your niche? You can decide to go after a lot of different things, but what do you what what are you going to communicate to the world? What do you specialize in and so you know companies that do it all, and if you're one of those companies listening that you know you've got a hundred next codes or your website indicates that you sell trucks, and you do technology, and you sell toilet seats. You know, at some point, and I'm being a little facetious, but there's actually a couple companies out there that do all three. Sure, yeah. um, You're absolutely decimating your ability uh, to position in the market. And and so, you know, so for example, you know, I tell folks, you know, don't tell me what you do. I tell them, I I don't care what you sell. I don't care what products you have. I don't care what services you provide. I want to know quantifiable, qualifiable metrics of the value that you provide to your other customers. And if you can't give me numbers and percentages, we decrease this. We increase that. We improve this. If you can't communicate with metrics, it is going to be almost impossible for you to differentiate from your competition. So that's a little bit on value. Uh, you got to be able to communicate value. It's not what you sell. It's the value that you provide. So that's my phrase.
1: All right. I would disagree a little. I would say it has to have the element of what you sell and how the value you bring to that sales and implementation process is what should resonate with the customer. But you're probably saying the same thing.
2: I, we are because uh, uh, from my side is a, a, a part of communicating the value. It's crystal clear exactly what product or service you provide. Yeah, that, that's a whole. That's a part of that process that right. you're actually communicating. So I totally agree with what you just said.
1: Okay, point number two then pre-acquisition. How how <laughs> uh, <laughs> how many smalls do this? Two, three,
2: what? Um, uh, maybe seven. No, I'm being facetious. I, you know, there's a reason why the big boys are big, right? There's a, it doesn't mean that every business developer and capture manager within large, you know, system integrators or, you know, the McCarthy's or the Dunn's on the construction site, I, most of the larger companies that are successful – understand pre-acquisition, but almost every small business starts off with this challenge. You're right. It's, you know, first of all, you know, p really don't talk about pre-acquisition. Most consultants don't talk about pre-acquisition. Small business offices don't talk about pre-acquisition. I mean, what do they all say, Mark? Well, gee, we release our opportunities on SAM, right? Yeah. Um, Or what used to be FBO. Right. And so... Or here's in, our in procurement terms,
1: forecast.
2: Oh, my God, I hate those. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, I have to... Next, see, now I say that, and I have to explain. You know, procurement forecasts are, are you know, this congressionally mandated requirement, right? They will help some companies. Most companies don't find a lot of value from them. Um, so I would say to listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, go look at the industry forecast. Uh, it's 50%. It'll help you 50% will not But as we said before, Mark, small, mid-tier and large companies have this problem as well. Now, it's being taught a lot more, right? A lot more folks are talking about pre-acquisition. You know, success in the government market is no different than selling to the commercial space. You know, it comes down to information and intelligence. And that's why pre-acquisition is so important. Uh, You know, no, or yes, most small businesses don't focus in pre-acquisition. They look for opportunities, and they bid. And they have absolutely no information or intelligence that's going to allow them to differentiate, communicate competitive advantage, and that's why most small companies don't win those contracts. And so this comes down to the more you know the more competitive you'll be the greater degree to which you can differentiate communicate competitive advantage so you know when when companies come to me and go hey how much of my time should I should I be focused in pre acquisition i go it's a 2080 rule 20% of your time you should be responding you know, RFPs, RFQs, solicitations, and 80% of that time building relationships. I know, you, you've never heard any of this, have you, Mark?
1: No, <laughs> and, and, and I don't you write know? about it every week, so.
2: No, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and for those of you listening, we're both being facetious. And so, you know, 80% of your time should be building relationships, collecting information and intelligence, Here's the key before the requirement moves into acquisition. That's before the RFP RFQ is released. So I'm going to say something really shocking that everybody will laugh at 80% of your time should be away from your computer, right? Get away from your freaking computer. And, and you know, if you look, Mark, if you look at the companies that are winning large contracts, their focus is what? Building relationships, collecting intel. Their focus is pre acquisition.
1: All right, we're going to take a break, Josh. Uh, You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Josh and I shall return for uh, three more topics of discussion right after this. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. I'm here today with uh with Josh Frank of RSM Federal. You can find Josh on LinkedIn or you can find him at RF, rsmfederal.com. So item number 3 on the uh on the short list is uh ghosting requirements.
2: Yeah, so I make part of, part of my reputation, my brand and every and it, ended up being ghosting requirements and influencing federal acquisitions. Didn't plan it that way. It just happened to be one of the most popular and valuable tactics or strategies um, that I provided. And, you know, for your listeners, how many times have you looked at a solicitation and said, oh, come on, this solicitation was obviously written for a specific company, right? And, Mark, you're probably one of the people that, helped other companies do that. Right. I wouldn't say. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I, I'm learning. Mark has a dry sense of humor, but i i I'm hanging, I'm hanging in. So, you know, the answer obviously is yes. Right. It was written with specific requirements that were quote unquote, ghosted by one or more companies. And, uh, uh, here, here's an example, right? For all your listeners uh, that are small businesses, you know, when when a small company responds to a source of sought, right? It's a small business acquisition, you know, tool. Um, how often do these companies add recommendations above and beyond what's asked for? You know, Mark, on the small business side, right? Most small businesses they look at it and they go, oh. You know, we, we have to answer every question. No, you don't. Uh, you know, oh, we have to, you know, uh, give them everything they're asking for. No, you don't. Uh, oh, I'm two weeks late. I can't respond. Yes, you can. Source of thoughts pre acquisition. It doesn't fall under the FAR like uh, uh, have the same rules that, that a RFP or RFQ has. So, number one, most companies don't, especially small business don't understand what they can and can't do with a source of thought. And, you know, this, this is the opportunity to influence the acquisition. What do you want to see in the RFP? What are your strengths? What are the weaknesses of your competition? And so the topic of ghosting requirements is so important. It's, it's one of the largest chapters in my book. But whether you're a, a small business, or your Lockheed Martin <laughs> every business developer needs to be able to ghost requirements and influence federal acquisitions. Okay. Does that make
1: sense? Tell tell people what you mean by ghost requirements.
2: Okay. Uh, yes. Ghosting is a strategy where you are positioning you are looking at the requirements of, of uh, uh, you know, within either a federal uh, solicitation, a source of sought, or even pre-acquisition where there's nothing on the street. But you know that this military command or this federal agency has requirements. You look at the requirements and you say, what will differentiate me, my company, make us more competitive and bar entry to our competition? So what requirements... Or types of past performance do I want to see in the formal solicitation? That's ghosting. And so, you know, hey, you know, here's an example. Uh, I'm a physical security company, right? We do CCTV intrusion detection, and there we know a requirement is coming out. It's pre-acquisition. The RFQ is going to drop in five days or two weeks, and make it two months. And you go back to the program manager and you go, you know, we understand that this is going to be for three different buildings, and you're going to get 1,000 responses from security companies that are really good at doing one building, but they don't know how to integrate right, with software, uh, et cetera, across multiple geographically dispersed locations. If you want mature companies and you don't want other companies to have to come in afterwards, fix a mess, et cetera, et cetera, then we recommend that you request a past performance that identifies an integration of two or more buildings because they had that past performance. It, it, that is a form of ghosting. One other form of ghosting real quick, and, and then I'll, I'll I'll close up um, you know, people look at Sam and they go, oh, I'm going to search by my NICS code. And they look at an opportunity and they go, yep, I have that NICS code. I don't need to make any recommendations to the contracting officer because I have it. I'm going to move on. Well, let's say you're a small business, Mark, and there are two Nix codes that are commonly used to buy your product or service. One of those codes is at $30 million small business size standard the other one is seven and a half million or 15 million well what i teach companies is don't just verify that you have that next code attempt to bar entry to your competition and convince the contracting officer convince the government to actually go with the next code with a lower size standard so those are all pieces of ghosting two of many examples
1: there you go all right let's move on to item four then Bid matching systems.
2: Okay. So, first some background. You know, there's there's more than 500 bid matching systems on the market. Uh, we are. You already said who the, the two 800 pound gorillas are. You got Deltex, Gov GovWin. You got Bloomberg, right? And Mark confirmed. Onviage got bought by Tech, right?
1: Yep. Okay. They 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 buy the companies yeah. that are starting to make inroads, but I don't think I don't <laughs> right. think they can afford Bloomberg.
2: Got it. Yeah, those are the two 800-pound gorillas. And, and there's a lot of, excuse my French, there's a lot of crappy systems out there. Um, there's a lot of mid-tier systems every, uh, you know, that are in the middle, right, that are, are below, you know, Dublin and, and Bloomberg. But um, for those that may be listening that have no idea what we're talking about, these are the systems that send you emails every morning, right, of opportunities that fit your mixed codes or PSC codes or keywords, you know, that you can bid on. And so, let me continue on the background real quick. Um, there are industry-specific systems, right? We have we have several clients that their logistics or hardware, you know, electrical, etc. There's some really good bid matching systems out there that you know the Dell Techs are never going to be able to, to compete against uh, when it's industry-specific like that. Ninety-nine percent. Are pulling data from the same three government systems. And the difference simply uh, is the user interface, what you see on the screen, and how they map and display the data, right? And that's pretty much it. Now, there are some out there, one of them is the 800 pound gorilla. You know, tech has got a hundred folks that all they do is call contracting officers and they get updates. I don't know about you, Mark. I, I, I think there's some value to that. I'm not sure how valuable, but there is value there, too. Um, and so, my recommendation in all of this is not which system is best, not which system is best, but the fact that bid matching systems are pretty much a waste of time and money if your marketing and sales strategy is not focused on wait for it pre-acquisition right so to be clear mark if you use a bid matching system and all you do is find opportunities and then bid on them i i don't know about you but for me that you're just wasting money i and more important no
1: no i i i I agree It, it If you're going to use these things, you really want to use them to get out in front of an opportunity and to be ahead of the curve. Period. You know? Yeah, and
2: you know, to what you just said, that's really important because I'll tell folks, you know, look in your systems, look at your bid matching systems, look in SAM, look, you know, whatever systems you use, and when you find an opportunity, don't don't focus on an, necessarily focus on bidding on it. What office is it coming out of, right? Who should you be talking to? Who, needs to? who do you need to have relationships with? So, you know, I often tell people, use all these bid matching systems to figure out what your strategic capture strategy should be for a given year. Um, yeah, so, you know, if 80% of your time and resources are not focused on pre-acquisition, you're not successfully ghosting, you're not influencing acquisitions, and your bid-matching system is a waste of your time. I think you know, That's really, I, yeah, it's hardcore, but, yep. it's, but it's a major issue.
1: It is. We've got to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Josh and I shall return and discuss category management right after this.
0: An FBI report shows an overall drop in the number of violent and property crimes reported for the first six months of 2019 when compared to the same time period in 2018. The preliminary semi-annual report is based on data from more than 14,000 U.S. law enforcement agencies that voluntarily submitted the information to the FBI. Unit Chief Amy Blasher says in the violent crime category. So we saw a 3.1 decline in all four of the offenses in the violent crime category, which includes murder, non-negligent homicide, rape, and robbery. Property crime fell 5.6%. Arson offenses, which are collected separately from other property crimes, decreased 12.5%. These statistics do not provide insight into the numerous variables that shape crime in a given jurisdiction. Because of this, the FBI cautions against comparing one city to another. Crime statistics." for the year 2019 will be released in September of this year. Read the preliminary semi-annual uniform crime report on FBI.gov. With FBI This Week, I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau.
1: Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Josh Frank of RSM Federal in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, And you can find Josh at rsmfederal.com or on LinkedIn so the, uh, the uh, elephant in the room, Josh, is this category management thing that has been looming now for several years and uh, mm-hmm. has just laid its major egg. So take it away.
2: My final recommendation, obviously, is on you know, strategic sourcing, category management. And a little bit of background. Every company, small, mid-tier, large, needs to understand – and build category management into their marketing and sales strategies. And so, you know, whether we're talking uh, mom and pop's uh, store or we're talking Northrop Grumman, uh, category management, without a doubt, is the future of government acquisition. Um, now, to be clear, it didn't just happen. Right. It's been taking, as you indicated, it's been taking place for years and, in fact, decades. Um, you know, the GSA schedule program, that's a form of category management. Um, IDIQs in general, MACs, MATOCs, those are all forms of category management in one way, shape, or form. But, but markets moving into a more advanced stage. And if you don't understand it, it will take your company out of the market. Right. Um, category management is about the government leveraging its purchasing power. Right. So, for those of you, you know, the listeners, trying to figure out what this is, what that means by default is that there are going to be fewer contractors that are required to give the government better pricing. That's the leveraging of of, of the purchasing power. And so, we're talking definitive. Contracts versus vehicles. Category management is IDIQs, BPAs, MACs, MATOCs, SATOX, you know, the alphabet soup of umbrella, umbrella contracts, right? And very recently, it even started impacting companies that sell products uh, on DLA's internet bidboard system. You know, my guess is a ton of the listeners um, are, are service companies, service based, et cetera, um, but I'm sure you also have a good number that are product or commodity-based. Well, I mean, I think I just got an email in the last 48 hours. There's a new letter, and, you know, if, if the letter U umbrella is in the ninth position of the solicitation number, it is now an IDIQ contract vehicle within DIBs, within DLA's Internet Bidforce System. That is category management. I've got a huge article on LinkedIn that talks about category management and how it's decimating, you know, some smaller companies that don't understand it. You know, there's quite a, a few companies, Mark, that that have called me and said, Hey, Josh, we're losing work consistently. You know, it's, it's just this product line or it's this service line. And they're not realizing or understanding that their sales strategy and pipeline isn't taking category management into account. Uh, We've got one client that just six months ago, a million dollars that they were selling all throughout the year, okay? It was a type of product. And all of a sudden, their clients said, their government customers said, we can't buy from you anymore because we have to use this vehicle. And they go, huh? What vehicle? Well, it's this. There is this IEIQ over here. And it was awarded to one company. So it's a say talk, right? A single award task quarter contract. And it, this had happened two or three times in the last year. And they go, Josh, what's going on? And I'm like, you know what category management is, right? And they go, no. So now, by the way, this is a $75 million company, Mark. This is not a, a, a you know a, your standard small business. So... You know, my recommendations, okay, uh, based on that example, every company, every single company, small, mid-tier, large, industry agnostic, does not matter what you sell. You've got to start taking category management into account. You need to make it a strategic focus as part of your overall business development and capture strategy. So what does that look like? There's three things that I would recommend. One, you need strong situational awareness, okay? You can't just be taking orders, product or service, collecting revenue, and hoping as a strategy that things will continue as they are. The only way you can have situational awareness, again, this is size agnostic, small, large company, doesn't matter. It only comes from focusing in pre-acquisition. We keep coming back to pre-acquisition. Number two, you have got to engage, participate, and win in at least two to three vehicles every year. Okay? Um, you know, I tell companies all the time, you know, you've got to have a five-to-one pipeline to sales ratio in terms of number of opportunities based on the revenue that you want to make, and these these vehicles, IDIQs, et cetera, cannot count towards any of those dollars. However, if you don't have at least one or two wins, you're a prime or you're a subcontractor, does not matter. Unless you're a prime and or a sub on at least one or two of these larger vehicles, every single year you're going to end up getting kicked out of the market because you simply won't be able to compete, and this is moving faster than I ever thought it was going to move, um, and then number three, you got to have a multi-pronged betting approach. If you plan to prime, you need to plan to sub too. If you plan to sub, try to sub to more than one company if you can get around exclusivity, so at a high-level mark, category management is the absolute future of federal acquisition, and Everything that is happening in the federal space is getting wrapped into it. And so, you know, if, if you're a listener and you, you're, you're like, well, I really didn't know what to do with category management or there's nothing I can do. Yes, there is. You absolutely need to start doing those things.
1: All right. So uh, we got about two minutes left. So give me some final thoughts here.
2: Final thoughts. Okay, so... Selling to the government is not about what you know. It is, but it's not. It's about learning and understanding, having the tactics and strategies to apply what you've learned. Uh, again, it's, it's size agnostic, small, medium, large. You can get all the information you want from somebody, but if you don't know how to position with it uh, and apply that intelligence, uh, you're not going to win a lot of stuff. And, and, and for the listeners... If you'd like to learn more about the tactics and the strategies for getting your organization focused in pre-acquisition or you know how to ghost and influence acquisitions, how to prepare for category management, I walk through all these pieces uh, in the Insider's Guide to Winning Government Contracts. It's the number one bestseller. And you can get it on Amazon for a couple of bucks. So that would be my closing thoughts.
1: All right, Josh, thanks for coming in, man, or phoning in.
2: Oh, you bet, Mark. Oh, you betcha.
1: All right. So uh, for those listening, this is not my day job. Several of the things Josh and I discussed today, including uh, differentiation and particularly differentiation and relationships, I help companies with. I help you differentiate. I help you build that subject matter expert status, uh, leverage content marketing, and social selling to to build a network of influencers in your niche if this resonates give me a call drop me a line at mark amtower at gmail.com and thank you for listening to amtower off center
0: you've been listening to amtower off center on federal news network tune in mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on itunes or podcast one